It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. We have reached the end of another remarkable week in the Independent Republic, ladies and gentlemen. I've been urging those of you working from home to get back into the offices of our cities. Yesterday, I urged the government to offer tax incentives to get people back into commuting, to breathe life back into the barren metropolises of the nation. We should continue that crusade with Richard Tice today. He's chair of the Brexit Party and he's proposing a home working tax to offset lost business rates. He's up onto a good thing. Uh, He knows a good thing when he sees one uh, and I agree with him as well. We'll also be looking at Boris Johnson this morning in the company of Nick Dubois. The Daily Mail has seen fit to publish details of where he is on holiday in Scotland with Carrie Simmons, their son and their dog plus a couple of dozen protection officers. Whatever you think of the Prime Minister, surely he's entitled to have a holiday despite the coronavirus crisis, the migrant crisis and the exams crisis. The hysterical left in the guise of Leila Moran from the Lib Dems and Labour Deputy Angela Rayner are screaming, apologise at every opportunity. But seriously, does anyone really believe that in this day and age you can't be afforded a little time off? And he won't exactly be out of contact with the levers of government anyway. Will he? 0344 499 1000. I'm getting a bit fed up uh, with all this Boris bashing, quite frankly. Later this hour, we will be joined by London mayoral candidate Sean Bailey on the Shambolic Crossrail project which is being delayed yet again. We'll check in with Georgie Frost from a boat in Spain. She'll bring us up to date on the latest news from Quarantine Central. And we'll be finding out just why hospital admissions at the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic were over-reported, making things seem worse than they actually were. I wonder why. 0344 499 1000. Because it's Friday, of course, we'll also bring you another sparkling episode of the Perrier Awards in the company of Marta Malagon. And we'll bring you the good news that retail sales have rebounded massively in July. Some encouragement for the economy and the doom and gloom merchants who were so happy to report that we were in the worst recession of all time just about a week ago, even though we were already coming out of it collection of planks and as ever we want to hear from you what are you seeing what are you hearing uh, what are you thinking do tell us and we will tell everybody else you'll listen to me mike graham right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet it is of course the one and only talk radio mid-morning with mike graham talk radio now, it's a bit windy out there at the moment. Apparently, there's a storm, which has got a name. Um, and poor old Boris Johnson. I mean, people are giving him a hard time for being on holiday on the west coast of Scotland. Listen, I've been to the west coast of Scotland, and you don't want to be on the side of a cliff on the west coast of Scotland in a gale. 
in a tent. I can tell you that. So I don't think he's having a great time. He's having to wear a bobble hat because it's that cold. It's probably raining as well. Uh, he's got a very young child. He's got a dog. Uh, he's got his new girlfriend, who's now his living uh, sort of de facto missus, right? Uh, but people are giving him a hard time. The Daily Mail this morning, Boris carries on camping. Exams fiasco, pupils let down, not a word of sympathy from the Prime Minister. So what's the Mail found him doing instead? Well, it's not exactly Watergate, guys, is it? They've done a picture as well uh, of the cottage in which he's living, which I'd have to say, at the very least, is a bit of a breach of security. They claim that they're not going to give away the location. Hello, you've already given away the location by showing a picture of where he is. I mean, who's running newspapers these days? It really beggars belief. Let's talk to Nick Dubois, uh, former Conservative MP, author of Confessions of a Recovering MP, talk radio presenter, of course, as well. Nick, a very good morning to you. Uh, good morning to you, Mike. What is going on out there? I mean, uh, isn't he allowed to have a holiday, the Prime Minister? Well, this is just absurd, uh, August gone mad, silly season journalism. I, I, I mean, I, I find it quite staggering that mm. we think, or they think, and I don't think normal people think this at all, that he's committed this great sin by going away and having a week's holiday in August, uh, when he has probably the most pressurised job um, that you can imagine trying to help this country navigate through all sorts of issues, not least the pandemic. Mm. I mean, honestly, if you read the story, which um, I only did, Mike, because I was coming on air <laughs> with you, yes. uh, that if you dig down into some of the text in there, they start talking about the problem with midges right. out there, and he will face midges at this time of year, and right. they got a midge expert on. I mean, this is drivel. It is absolute nonsense. The Prime Minister... Um, I think I kind of admire a man who says, you know what, I'm going to have a holiday because if, frankly, this government or any organisation stands or falls by one person being there, then, frankly, you have to look closely at that organisation. He's got a whole cabinet of ministers. He's got uh, education with Gavin Williamson. He's got all these people out there. That's their job. Let them get on with it for a week. For goodness sake, he was fighting for his life for several yeah. weeks and we got by, didn't we? Well, exactly. But also this kind of ridiculous idea that just because you're somehow uh, in a cottage somewhere on the west coast of Scotland, that you can't be in touch with anybody and you can't have a telephone and you can't actually send an email is nonsensical. It's 2020, if you got to say. I mean, even David Cameron's probably managed to get some kind of 3G coverage up to Scotland. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, if you ask anyone who runs their own business, a small business, or people who work in any company, to be perfectly honest with you, uh, they will no doubt uh, uh, have to get in touch with their office if necessary. Most try and avoid it. And frankly, let's judge ourselves by the standards. Let's judge Boris Johnson by the standards we judge ourselves. I know lots of people who try and switch off for at least a week, if not two weeks on Mm. a holiday. Of course, if there's a crisis, you can get into... I mean, look, Mike, we're not in those ages of the 70s when you used to go on holiday for maybe a week or two weeks and then you come back and pick a pick up a newspaper because you had no other communication during that time uh, with what's going on back in. And it looked like the world had changed. It doesn't happen now. It it, it is frankly time-wasting drivel that yes. has been published about his holiday. I'm so glad you agree with me. Yeah, it's funny you say that about not knowing what was going on, because I remember back in the distant past of 1987, I went to the south of France on my honeymoon, and the idea was to drive up to Calais and get the, the, the ferry, or maybe the hovercraft, across to, uh, uh, to England and have another party over there. Got to Calais only to discover there'd been a hurricane and nothing was running, and I had no idea. <laughs> well, uh, yes, I, I think you're talking about the great hurricane of about 87. 87, that's right, yeah. Well, I can slightly top that. I got up to work that morning, didn't switch the radio on. It was only when I arrived in outer London, I realised something was amiss as a bus stop in the middle of the road. There you go. Um, 
Exactly right. But, you know, this whole kind of also apology culture that we seem to be living through, we've got the likes of Angela Rayner, uh, Leila Moran, you know, the, the very forefront of the left, demanding an apology about the A-level results. I mean, what difference would it make, one, if he gave an apology? And as we saw Gavin Williamson fa- falling foul of it, he did give an apology and nobody thanked him for it. No. Well, actually, I'll, I'll slightly correct you on that last bit. I was really quite pleasantly surprised when, after he'd given an apology, I was watching um, a TV station and uh, uh, they asked the students, uh, d- 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 what, did it, what did it mean to you that the, the, the Secretary of State apologised? And they said, well, I was grateful for it. So, good, at least he did that. But no. Yeah, but these, these are the same people that are celebrating getting fake results from a test they never <laughs> took. So, I mean, I wouldn't take their view too seriously. <laughs> well, listen, the, the key thing, the key thing, is about this is you're quite right this desperate need to apologize for everything it is just a simple um look Leila moran a wannabe liberal democrat leader yeah. right uh she's going to be crying for attention uh, in in as they head as they they, they gear up for their leadership contest of course she's going to ask some something uh, that either hasn't happened or is unlikely mm. to happen because it gives her a soapbox to to shout from angela rayner's job is to kind of criticize the government of course she's going to do it but frankly i take comfort if the best that they can throw at the prime minister is that they'd like an apology from him um you know so be it it is it is inevitable um look the, his minister responsible for this and you know we can't no one can claim to have covered themselves in glory during this episode. He stepped forward and made an apology. Um, so be it. But you know what? Also, there's a bit of politics here, Mike. Yeah. Because if the Prime Minister came out and actually then issued apology, you know what? The next thing it was, well, if you're apologising, surely you should be sacking Gavin Williamson. Yes, and, it exactly. was, and on it goes and on it goes. Um, whereas, of course, the government who have to deal with these things, they are desperate to get delivery right. Mm. Now, as I say, they they haven't covered themselves in glory over this particular issue, but they want this they want this story gone, they want it dealt with, they 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 basically if you like, capitulated on all of these. Yes, issues. they did. And I mean, I'm and, one of those. And they I'm wanted one of, to move on. Yeah, I mean, I'm one of those who, who would say they probably shouldn't have cancelled the exams because you can actually run exams uh, mm. relatively safely in terms of social distancing. <laughs> However, having said that, you know, we are where we are and they did what was the right thing to do. And in the end, um, you know, they will move on from it. But also, I think they learned from the beginning of this uh, pandemic that the best place to be is not to be being pushed around by the media, not to have yeah. government by, you know, press briefing because that was what was beginning to happen every single time they went before the three stooges of the media as I call them Peston, you know, Koonsberg and Rigby you know, it was all hijacked into when are you going to apologise for this and do you accept now that that was wrong and in the end that doesn't get you anywhere well, look, you, you know, that nothing typifies that more than uh, how the media will respond um, uh, or leading leading lights in the media respond when you look at the quarantine issue. That, yeah. that it wasn't so long ago that people were complaining like mad that they didn't introduce uh, lockdown early enough. They didn't stop international travellers coming in. And those same people will be complaining bitterly. We haven't given enough time for people to get back from quarantine uh, because they acted too swiftly and decisively. Yes. So, you know, you, you really are in a no-win situation. But I credit the British public with a lot more intelligence. You know, if you, to be perfectly honest with you, a lot of people are talking about how there's a dip in the polls. Boris Johnson and his government are still ahead in the polls. The lead has dropped. Mm. And I give credit to the British public who read behind so much of the headlines, so much of the froth, and come to their own sensible judgment about things. Because if, Mike, uh, the, the people followed what is said by leading lights in Britain, 
broadcasting all the time, as as you've just highlighted. Uh, frankly, the Conservative government wouldn't have one percentage of support. No. So you know there is credit. I think most people reading the Daily Mail today are going to be gobsmacked. It's such a big story. And secondly, go let the man have a holiday. I mean, it wasn't as if we didn't know he was on holiday or that he was, in fact, in Scotland camping because we already knew all that. So the fact that they've gone and sort of hounded him and found him and put a picture of where he's actually staying out there, I can't imagine security-wise they'd be too happy about that. Well, no, you wouldn't have thought so at all. And um, I think the thing that I found was absolutely laughable when I, again, I read this article, thanks to you, which I, I kind of hold you accountable for. I'm very sorry. I apologise <laughs> immediately. Uh, I wish to I wish to rescind uh, my my order for you to read the article. <laughs> and, and 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 what happened was they 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 highlighted the fact that he'd been camping in the garden. Right now, right. that is fun, isn't it? And what you know, there's lots of parents who've done that, and oh, they course. said this is not the usual thing you would find at this luxury um, luxury uh, uh, house cottage, as yeah. they called it, that they've rented. I mean, it's absolute dregs of nonsense. It really is. It doesn't actually look like a luxury uh, cottage to me, to be honest. And I mean, without wishing to give too much away, um, I don't think it is. Um, and the amount of money he's paying for it, it doesn't sound that expensive either. People spend a lot more money than that on their summer holidays. And I think that's where the Daily Mail have got it completely wrong. And I can guarantee you, Geordie Gregg, the editor of the Daily Mail, when he goes away on holiday, probably spends about 20 grand a week, never mind 1,500. Well, I think you draw a very good contrast there. Of course, what it has done, and this is fantastic for uh, the, 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 the home staycation business, is it's highlighted some very nice places to go because you might, you know, I'm not sure I want to stand on the um, edge of a cliff uh, with those sort of winds, but I tell you what, there's <laughs> lots of beautiful scenery, lots of walkers out there who are, he's just, he's just, he's just given a real boost to that part of the country for yeah. people to go on holidays. Absolutely right. And also, I saw a picture on social media this morning of Keir Starmer uh, meeting somebody at Bournemouth Pier. Nobody seems to be particularly exercised about that. Should he not be away as well? Well, look, you, you pay your money and, 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 and you take your choice, I suppose. The fact of the matter is that um, if Keir Starmer goes and stands on, on, uh, on a, a pier at Bournemouth, a lovely pier as it is, um, he is basically the leader of the opposition and he hasn't really got a full-time job in the sense of governing any so it's bound to attract yeah. less attention. No, very but true. <laughs> now, the other story that I think is a bit more important, actually, uh, which we should touch upon, uh, is this investigation on the front page of the Telegraph for the government's science yes. advisory group, talking about how at the height of the pandemic, um, patients were basically wrongly counted as having COVID-19, right. therefore sort of artificially inflating the figures mm. of the number of people infected. Yes, right up until July, I think this was uh, in the paper they reported. What they did is exactly the same error that was made with deaths um, in this case. So basically, anyone who came into hospital uh, and had a hospital stay was essentially counted as being admitted for COVID simply because they had had a test for COVID. However, the test could have taken place weeks, yes. months before they went into hospital. So here again is a nonsensical accounting process that actually did come to light in July. And I believe they managed to stop it at some point in July. But of course, that was after the peak. Yeah, that was after we had um, we were hearing daily how many people were in hosti hospital with COVID. Uh, and again, you have to I know people it often frustrates me to hear this, but it is the right thing is when you always hear people are going to say lessons have to be learned. But for goodness sake, wasn't it obvious, you know, if someone who had a, a, a positive test for COVID maybe in February came through it and then was in hospital two months later for some other unrelated condition, that is not a COVID case. So once again, we have inflated figures 
on which policy decisions are being made. Yeah. Yeah, no I mean, wonder. this is the problem. I mean, we've now been con- confronted by a situation where the numbers of people who who were said to have died of COVID has been reduced by around about 5,000, uh, which is quite a big number. We've now got a story saying that the number of hospital admissions for COVID was probably inflated. I mean, it paints a picture of people uh, being put to uh, a certain truth, which is not actually the truth. And it worries me that somehow that was done uh, and we don't know why. Well, I think it was probably, uh, I, I mean, look, I, 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 I'm, I'm not sure I should hear myself saying these words. I think it was probably done in the, the sort of argument that the more transparent we are, the less we will face criticism. Yeah. In some respects, the UK could be criticised for being too transparent, because as we look back, we found actually some of the data was incorrectly calculated. Mm. But what would have driven it is a fear of being accused of actually trying to cover up figures. So that meant, and I'm not even saying that's in the government, I think that could have been in the NHS, it could have been in uh, the, the, the former Public Health England, it could, and I think that's what drove them uh, to, if you like, overemphasize yes. things. But, but by As the a, same token, Nick, the, the policy was then driven by the numbers. Mm. If the numbers were all wrong, then surely the policy was wrong. Well, you have to you have to have to basically say if you are following a science based um, uh, agenda, uh, part of that agenda must be how the uh, hospital cases are going, what the rate of deaths are, what the rate of infections are. And if you have flawed data, you have every chance of making a flawed decision. It really is as simple as that. Well, it really is. And since we are being guided by the science at every moment, as we are being told, I mean, I'm looking at the front page of The Guardian, sadly, this morning, lockdown fears for Birmingham amid sharp Mm. rise in UK infections. Again, you know, so we're now left with a sort of uh, a quandary where you look at a story like that and you go, okay, sharp rise in UK infections. Other papers say that the last time you said there was a sharp rise in infections, it was actually wrong. You were not counting the right people. So I think the trouble is it gives people little confidence um, in this whole new lockdown sort of fever that seems to be going on. Oh, we have to lock down Birmingham because we've got a few new cases. Well, have you? Or are you going to tell us in three months' time that actually you didn't? Well, and, and now at least the, the politicians, at least, and for example, you have a very good mayor in uh, Andy Street up in Birmingham, they can actually challenge now robustly because there is evidence of poor statistical right. collecting. So they can challenge that information. And that is what I would do if I was in their circumstances. But I also um, I worry about the headlines because we need context, Mike. Mm. Um, look, at the moment, across um, Western Europe in our neighbours, they are counting much higher numbers of infections than we are, much higher increase in the the number of cases being presented. And then to pick up a British paper where you actually, uh, you know, we're we're at a stable level where we're seeing anywhere between 800, 900, perhaps 1,000 cases a day, whereas over in France, it's nearly 3,000, Spain, 3,000, where where we we need a more measured response. So when I start reading about surges and and headlines Mm. that most people don't go beyond the headlines, Mike, we, we pander to this climate of corona fear, as I call it. Yes. Well, just give us the facts. Let us make grown-up decisions. Give us the facts. Don't don't drama it up like we're watching some pan- pantomime, because I think people are tired of that. They just want the facts, and they want those facts to be accurate. No, absolutely right. Let me ask you one final question. I said yesterday, we're going to talk about this later on the show, that we need to find some method of getting our cities back to kind of, you know, full working order or as best as we can get close to that. Uh, I suggested we should offer some kind of a tax um, incentive rather than a punishment tax, a tax incentive for people to come back to work. Say, for example, give them a month tax free uh, to come back into work in the offices of London, Manchester, Leeds, Glasgow, Newcastle, 
Newcastle. And that's what we'll see because we've seen the economy bouncing back. Loads of people are going shopping. But what they're not doing is going back to work because they don't need to. Well, they're basically shopping elsewhere. You'll mm. find where there's winners and there's losers. Now, look, Mike, we're going to fall out, so I'm glad we haven't got much time. <laughs> I, bas- I basically don't like uh, introducing lots of taxes anyway, period. This so, is taking one away, though. So, so, well, it's giving an incentive. I think, look, what I would agree with you about is I think we're now apparently being presented with a 1.6% increase in train fares. And yeah. I wouldn't put that in place because, that you know, I get the point why people want people more people to go back to the cities. But I think we've changed, my. I think we've changed forever. And I don't think we'll ever see our cities as crowded with workers as we have done before. In part, I understand that. But what, what and, and losing it in a capital is, is really quite threatening, quite dangerous. I understand that, but, I, I, but, but I'm not sure a tax incentive to make people go back to work is necessarily some another tinkering with the tax system I'd like, because it will almost certainly throw up an anomaly somewhere else. I don't know what, and maybe your next guest, Richard Tice, will yeah. answer that one. But what I do think is that there will also be a trade-off. We're going to see a lot more growth, I think, in the provincial towns where people are working. If they're not in the Pret-a-Manger in London, they're going to be supporting maybe an independent or another uh, shop in their own area. We are going to change. It's going to change forever. I just think at this moment, an intervention like that probably won't have that much effect because people are still in the grip of what I call corona fear, mm. uh, perhaps more fearful of what's actually going on than the reality might might present. Uh, so uh, I suspect it's premature. But let's let's just say I'm, I'm pre- I think it's premature, Mike. OK, Nick, great to speak to you. Have a good weekend. Thank you very much indeed. Nick Dubois, former Conservative MP, author of Confessions of a Recovering MP. Um, he doesn't think it's a good idea to get an incentive uh, going. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh, right now, though, let's talk to Sean Bailey, Conservative candidate for Mayor of London. This morning, it was announced that Crossrail's opening has been delayed once again. Uh, another £1.1 billion is going to be needed to finish it. It's not going to be ready, according to the latest uh, announcements, until 2022, which is absolutely unforgivable, really. Sean, thanks very much indeed for joining us. Welcome. Morning, Mike, and morning to your listeners. Of course, to anybody who's been following this, this will be no surprise at all. Mm. But the real pain is this 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 loss was baked in day one of his mayoralty. Sadiq Khan put in a false fears freeze that didn't help the ordinary guy as to get to work or girl. What it did was help tourists. Six six hundred forty billion lost a one billion pound hole in TfL's finances. And why that's relevant, because to balance the books, TfL had to let go 30% of its staff, the very people that London needed, the very people that TfL needed to look after Crossrail. Fast forward four years, and let's be, here's a killer, Mike. We are a whole mayoral term behind with the delivery of Crossrail. All of this has happened under Sadiq Khan, and it's because of something he did straight away. So you fast forward now, we're getting an extra 1.1 billion, which effectively brings us up to 5 billion and four years behind in delivering this project. It's shocking, it's unnecessary, and Sadiq Khan needs to do better. Somebody asked me the other week, funnily enough, about Crossrail and said, you know, given what's happening in London, given the fact that at the moment, um, London is pretty much of a ghost town when it comes to the actual businesses of the city. I know there are plenty of people on the streets because they live here but the people who are not coming into London to go to work you know is there any point in even finishing Crossrail at this this juncture right here right now definitely more than ever Mike and I'll tell you why I know sometimes if you don't live in London it's a bit annoying to keep hearing that London's the centre of the economy but but it's true it is and Crossrail will be a big project to push business and life along in London and that will spread out across all the country 
And of course, because we've had this COVID lockdown, we need to rebuild the economy and London is the place to start that. We need to do our bit and Crossrail was a big part of our bit. And that's why it's been so disappointing that the mayor didn't listen to anyone and he won't take responsibility for anything. He constantly keeps talking about the government. Well, it wasn't the government that laid off 30% of TfL staff and it wasn't the government that didn't deliver TfL on, or didn't deliver Crossrail on time. It was him. And these things are important, not just to London, but to the rest of the country as well. Yeah, and when he was laying off TfL staff, did he look at those uh, many, many people who are on more than six-figure salaries to run TfL, which seems to me uh, to be where you could make an awful lot of savings? Of course he didn't. What he did, he laid off the staff that TfL needed. TfL needed this level of management to look after this project and many others. And he laid off the wrong people. And now we're in this really, really big problem. And any time the mayor talks about the government attacking London and punishing us, he should remember the government have bailed him out to the tune of five billion and counting. All of this is on his watch. Again, we're a full mayoral term behind delivering Crossrail on time and an extra £5 billion. And what that means for Londoners and UK taxpayers is less services and less investment all because he did a vanity project for his ego that cost TfL a billion pounds. And as far as you are concerned and as far as you know, Sean, are they building and working on Crossrail at the same level as they were before the coronavirus hit or has it all been suspended or what? I sincerely hope so. And, and here's the other anomaly, isn't it? They stopped for two months and they had to. That was a correct decision by TfL to keep their staff safe. They stopped for two months, but yet we're an extra year behind. There, there, there's a 10-month differential there. And again, TfL find themselves in this tough position because the mayor won't give them proper direction because the mayor, day one, made a terrible decision that TfL have been running to catch up with ever since. I, I feel for TfL staff. They've bent over backwards to make London work, but they have a, a, a leader in the mayor who simply is doing things for his his career and not for the benefit of London. Yes. And I mean, the streets of London right now have never been busier with cars. They've never been busier with roadworks. They've never been busier with traffic jams. I mean, it's quite remarkable how bad the streets of London are currently running. But I was told by somebody the other day that they were in Northumberland Avenue and there's a whole list uh, of, of, of buses parked up Northumberland Avenue, like one behind another. Buses going around London with nobody on them. I mean, why doesn't he do something about getting rid of some of the buses on the streets so that people can actually get around? The big problem we have is we're putting in a lot of cycle and walking campaigns to make to make the curbs wider so people can walk past social distance. That's fine, but a lot of it's been done without consultation. And of course, it's narrowing the roads at the very time and many nervous people or, or, or emergency workers have to drive to and fro. Yeah. And I think the miscalculated there and again he's closed many of the bridges or reduced the traffic flow over those bridges and i think he's damaging london at the very time we need to get london moving get london on its feet get our businesses back and whenever you hear me say the word business please really put the word employment i'm interested in people having a job to go to so they can you know feed their families mm. and i think the mayor's completely missed the plot he's lost the plot yeah. on how you city going so that people can keep their jobs. Well, I found it incredible that last week he was out and about in sort of Oxford Street, suddenly demanding the government do more to get people back into London when he spent the previous two months telling everybody to stay away. The problem is he confused us. So let me take you right back. He was given a report long before COVID broke out about how dangerous the tube could be if something like that happened. That's yeah. very dangerous. 
So he didn't respond properly. So at one point he was saying, get on a tube, it's fine. And it wasn't. Then he was saying, don't get on a tube. It isn't fine. And it wasn't. He wasn't giving his staff the protection that they needed. So they died at a rate of five times that of NHS staff. Mm. He's confused people. So now people are afraid. So they're keeping away. So what he needs to do is be very clear. We need London to open. We need people to get back to work. But make sure you do it safely. Employers are trying to help. The mayor should also try to help as well. I'm sorry to put all these questions to you, Sean. But I keep asking him to come on so that I can quiz him myself. And he keeps refusing. So, you know, what can I do? But let's talk a bit about the crime rates as well, because we've seen um, during most parts of, uh, of of the lockdown, you know, the police working very, very hard, trying to keep faith uh, with what their uh, jobs are asking them to do. But facing a, a, a rising tide of crime, we see these gangs of kids on bikes all over the place now. Uh, you know, I see lots of groups of, of, of youths kind of, uh, kind of growing in numbers, really, and just sort of hanging about on the streets. We see knife crime increasing again. You know, what's his strategy? strategy for that i wish i could tell you he doesn't have a strategy and every time he announces something it's piecemeal it's not built it's not together even when he starts talking about um a public health approach he had to be dragged to the table to get involved in that and but this is what i'd say to the public in and outside london don't panic we can get on top of this the police want to get it done they just need decent leadership they need to be given the political cover to do their job properly, I certainly would give that to them because nobody benefits young, old, black, white, gay, straight from a dangerous London. We need to get on top of that first. So for me, job number one, day one, is to get on top of the growing crime problem in London. Anything from knife crime up to burglary and everything in between, we need to get on top of it because that benefits all Londoners. If you were mayor, Sean, would you get rid of Christa Dick? If I was mayor, Cressa Dick would be in a different situation because you'd have a proper boss who'd have been asking tougher questions. I can't say I'd get rid of Cressa Dick because Cressa Dick's problem is Sadiq Khan. She has had to respond to a mayor who, quite frankly, will throw her under the bus at any given opportunity to make himself look good. What I would have done with Cressida is maintained a good relationship, but also let her know I'm a critical friend, I'm her boss. And if London doesn't think she's performing, she'll have to go. But she can always defend herself by saying the mayor has been less than useless he's really been poor now i'm asking everybody on uh, today this question because i proposed it yesterday not everybody's a fan but i've got a great idea for getting people back to work in london and that is to give them all a month tax free so if you're staying at home currently because you think it's a bit frightening to come to London on a train, which is basically empty, and to come and work in an office, which your bosses may be telling you you can't do, what if we gave everybody a month's free tax so that they didn't have to, so the gross income they made they could keep? Would that be a good idea? Anytime someone suggests cutting tax, my ears prick up. I, 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 <laughs> I, so, so yeah, I, I, I'm into that. Look, the, the one thing I would say, a lot of people are not coming in because they're genuinely afraid. You know, they're, they're isolating. My mother, for instance, is in her 70s, quite a serious asthmatic. She does not need to get COVID. Mm. She's very clear about that. Right. But right. if you're saying cut tax to get the able body back who could do it, what, why not? Because that tax would end up back in our economy, which will support the job growth we're going to desperately need going forward. Exactly right. Sean, great. Thanks very much indeed for talking to us. Sean Bailey, Conservative candidate for Mayor of London, appalled, uh, as I am and as everybody will be, that the Crossrail project uh, is going to cost another £1.1 It's not going to be ready till 2022. I'm actually asking whether or not there's any point because until and unless we get more people back into the city working in the way that they should be, then there's not much point in having trains running empty underneath the capital, uh, costing billions and billions of pounds, is there?
Let's talk to Richard Tice now, chair of the Brexit Party. Uh, he got in touch yesterday and said, I've had an idea uh, about actually introducing a home tax because his idea uh, is that it would offset some of the losses uh, from the business rates that the cities are losing at the moment. Richard, a very good morning to you. Welcome. Good morning to you, Mike. Thanks very much indeed uh, for coming on. I know you're a busy man, but uh, you, so you're sort of taking the opposite side of the argument to me, but in order to get to the same place. So tell us, tell us what your plan would be. Yeah, look, I, I think the truth is that um, the horse is bolted out of the stable door here, Mike. Mm. And uh, it, the reality is, you know, people are finding it attractive for understandable reasons not to be commuting five days a week. Right. And I think companies are going to be very flexible uh, as people come back to work saying, well, you can work part time from home and, uh, you know, part time in the office. That is a significant shift in the whole dynamic and structure of people's lives, of our infrastructure, and indeed of our city centres. The reality is, if, 40, if, if let's say 40% of your working week, you're not coming to the city, uh, to the city centre, then we may well have to accept that 40% of the jobs in shops and, and bars and cafes uh, and dry cleaners and things, they're gonna go as well, yeah. because there just won't be the people to sustain it. And, and so therefore you're gonna have a loss of revenue in the city centres, you're going to have a loss of business rates as people don't occupy premises, and of course, there's going to be a huge loss of revenue, Mike, on the public uh, transport system. There'll be less train fare receipts. Bearing, remembering, of course, that essentially all the rail networks have been nationalised. Right. Transport for London is bust, and therefore is, is essentially being propped up by the government. So you've got a loss of huge, huge loss of revenues. Why? Because people are enjoying working from home. That's fine. But those loss of revenues are somehow going to have to be made up over time. You know, all these bills have got to be paid for. There's no such thing as a free lunch, sadly. No, exactly. And so my question is, I get your point about having an incentive to come back to work. I, I, and it's, it's whether or not actually the alternative is to say, well, if you want to work from home, fine, but we're going to have to have a tax in order to offset those lost revenues. So, so your, your idea more or less is to raise money from those people who want to work from home rather than to kind of um, disincentivize them to do so, if you like, and get them to travel? Yeah, I think, I think you've got to accept that for many people, they're not ever going to want to come back to the office five days a week with an hour, hour and a half commute. And I get that completely. And I think this, my suggestion is a, is a positive, constructive response to that, recognising that you know, the, the truth is our city centres and our governments is going to lose a huge amount of money. It's not going to get anything like the train receipts it used to get. It's not going to get the business rates. How is it going to meet the gap? Mm. It's going to have to put some form of, of, of tax on people who want to save money and work from home. We can have a there's, a, there's a whole sort of productivity debate as well. I just don't believe people can be as productive five days a week from home, but I fully accept if you've got a report to write or to read, you could have a very productive one or two days. Um, but we also have a strong social responsibility, Mike, in particular to our young people. You know, I've got a 23-year-old son. He got a new job during lockdown. Um, he's never met a single one of his colleagues at work. Yeah. Not one of them. He's 23. He needs to be in an office yeah. to feed off people, to learn, to listen, to pick up those nuances, those sales techniques. 
Um, and I think, you know, we have got that responsibility to our young people. Yeah, no, absolutely right. Because, you know, we've all got stories that we could tell that are similar to that. You know, I mean, we got the idea to do that Joe Biden clip just now because we were sitting in the office talking about just the news in general. You know, if we'd all been at remote locations emailing each other, we nobody would have ever come up with that conversation because we wouldn't have thought about it. You know, and it's really, really important. But, I mean, I was going to ask you, Richard, because you've run businesses, you know, you know what the city's like. You've told me the streets of Mayfair and, and, and the environs are pretty empty. I spoke to someone in Canary Wharf the other day. HSBC Tower, which is a huge tower in Canary Wharf, is pretty much, yep. I think, 80% empty. Are they just going to continue to pay rent on that space or do they own it? I mean, how does that work? Well, um, uh, firms like that, they'll have to continue to meet the obligations of their lease to rent that space. Right. So, yes, they will. But, but you know, I've heard of lots of businesses where the leases are coming to an end. They're saying, thank you very much. Um, I'll either pay 50 or 60 percent of the rent or I'm going to rent much lower space. So, you know, there's going to be a huge reduction in office rents across the whole of of. Uh, uh, you know, central London, and it may well be in the same in other big cities across the UK. Um, and, you know, people are not going to be able to afford to pay the business rates. And it's this loss of income. And you see, the people who want to come to work two or three days a week, um, they're still going to expect the trains to work, Mike. Yeah. They're not going to want the service, the train service to be half the frequency. But if there's no revenues coming in, how can that do you see the mismatch? Well, do you know what so, I found out the other day, which astonished me, actually, but I suppose I shouldn't be surprised, but the government apparently pays the same amount of money to the train operators, no matter how many passengers they carry. So the train operators are still doing fine, thank you very much indeed. It's just that we're paying for it. Yeah, well, I, look, the reality is um, we, the taxpayer, has nationalised uh, the, the railways. Yeah. Um, you know, Jeremy Corbyn is, will be sort of laughing all the way um, to his back bench all the way because, to all the way to, to to Lebanon, you might say. Well, because in reality, he's got what he dreamt of. Yeah, um, uh, it's costing. I'm told it's costing something like a billion pounds a month uh, to prop up the rail operators, yeah. and I don't think that's going to change because none of these companies can take any form of commercial risk anymore. They've no idea how many people are going to get on the trains. That's a huge amount of of, of, of money, Mike. And ultimately, it's going to have to be paid for somewhere. And if people want the flexibility to work from home, then, you know, somehow they're going to have to pay for it. Yeah. You may have people who whose salary is reduced because they don't need the London waiting because they're not coming to London. Um, you know, we're going to have to find a way to balance the books. It's not easy. Yeah. My suggestion is um, fine if people want to work from home but they're going to have to pay an additional tax for it. Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you end up really with another kind of a divide in society because those people that you've just described who can read a report at home, uh, who can work on a laptop, you know, those are fairly white-collar, middle-class kind of jobs. You know, there's a lot of people who can't work from home because they're in the service economy or they're in hospitality or they are in a business that requires them to be somewhere like driving a train or driving a bus yeah. or something like that. Um, and they all want to keep things uh, as they are, but they're not willing to make that sacrifice financially. I mean, what sort of um, rate of tax are you thinking about? Look, it's, it, it, at the moment, it's, it's very early days, mm. but you're talking about hundreds of thousands of, of workers who are not going to come into the city centres, and it's about making a, a reasonable contribution. You know, people are going to be saving hundreds of pounds, um, uh, you know, every week yeah. and month, uh, on, on, you know, saving on that transport cost. A percentage of that saving um, is going to need to go towards, uh, in my view, potentially, um, go towards uh, some form of, of 
contribution, tax, tariff, uh, to help keep the key elements of infrastructure going. Yeah. Otherwise, folks, uh, there's, two, there's two things here. Um, you can't expect the services to continue to run on the same frequency, whether you're coming from, from you know, Hartford or from Hazelmere. Um, if you want the trains to run, something's got to pay for that. Mm. Uh, if you want to decide you're going to come in two or three days a week. You know, otherwise... You know, the reality is, of course, as, as we've touched on before, um, if, you, if you don't come to the office at all and you're not prepared to pay for it, guess what might happen? Your employer might suddenly say, well, if you're not coming to the office at all. I don't see you. Therefore, I don't know whether you're in, frankly, whether you're in um, uh, Berkhamsted or yeah. whether you're in Bangalore. I well, can get cheaper labour in Bangalore. I mean, we uh, did our Plank of the Week this week where we put the Information Commissioner uh, as the winner of Plank of the Week because she announced <laughs> that she was working from home in Canada. So she's actually eight hours away on a time difference of, of a differential, which means she can never actually have a meeting, whether on Zoom or anything else, with anyone who's in London because she's too far behind. Yeah, that in itself was extraordinary. Um, one very small example. Uh, but um, these are really big structural issues. And, you know, I think we have got to have a, 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 a grown-up, frank, mm. open uh, conversation with people. And... I come back to the, the first point I made. Look, you know, the horse is bolted out the stable door and people can work specifically productively at home and that's great. Um, and for many people, improving work-life balance, fine. Um, but there is a, there's, there's a price to be paid. Um, we've still got to, you know, our city centres are critical. Mm. Uh, you know, they're, they're critical uh, to our economy and particularly the centre of London. At the moment, right, there are almost no big hotels open. There are still no tourists to speak of around. You know, do we want London to remain a ghost town or do we actually want to um, get people confident and motivated and enthusiastic and coming back? And I think employers have got a responsibility to encourage mm. people, you know, get back to the office. Yes, absolutely. Because um, I think there's a lot of that going on. There's a lot of employers who are working out that at the moment, for whatever reason, they, they don't mind uh, telling people not to come back to work till January or till March of next year because they're obviously making savings of their own and they need to change their attitudes as well. So maybe we have to look at whether uh, a company that's not bringing its workers back uh, gets some kind of a tariff put on it because it won't be long, I don't think, as well, before HMRC gets involved in this and looks at all these people working from home and says, well, if you're using your house for an office, we're going to come up with some way of taxing you. I think they will. And 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 you know, ultimately, um, we know this terrible pandemic has cost, you know, hundreds of billions of pounds, and it, we're going to have to start paying for it. And those who want to enjoy the additional flexibility of working from home, look, folks, wake up and smell the coffee. Uh, fine, get that benefit. But there's going to be a price attached to it so that it's fair on society, it's fair on our young people, and it's fair on those you know who still are yep. coming to the city centres and things. And you're absolutely right. I think it's a debate we need to have. So so let's kick it off and let's have it and let's get people calling in and uh, to tell us what they think about it. Just before we let you go, Richard, um, you might have seen a story breaking this morning. Michelle Barnier is not very happy. Apparently, he's disappointed with the progress of the Brexit negotiations. That's probably <laughs> that's probably pretty good news for us, isn't it? Well, he always seems to be disappointed at the end of every week of these negotiations. <laughs> Um, it's his standard stock phrase. Uh, I think um, uh, that's encouraging because it, it sounds like uh, David Frost and his team have, have held firm. They've held to our red lines. You and I know this is going to go to the 11th hour. I, I still think the, the likelihood of no deal is, is diminishing all the time. 
my expectation is a partial deal that allows both sides uh, to claim that they've made, you know, they've, they've held on to their key red lines. Um, but at, at this time of economic crisis, it's absolutely vital, not only that, of course, uh, we protect um, and get back proper control of our fishing waters, but crucially, that we don't concede uh, regulatory alignment and that we don't concede, you know, having to beg to Brussels for any form of state aid. You know, the government is going to have to invest in and protect our key industries and key businesses in an extraordinary way that, frankly, we've never envisaged before. And, and, and for free marketeers, they're just going to have to, I'm afraid, just, just you know, soak it up mm. um, because we cannot let... Uh, some of these key businesses go to the wall. In particular, you think about the travel industry, what's happening there. Uh, and we need to make those big economic decisions rapidly uh, in our country's interest, not in the interests of Brussels. And what's interesting to me as well is what the COVID pandemic has shown is that all of that sort of European protectionism um, that was their watchword, that everything that they did was somehow uh, put into, inside a bubble and protected, it proved that they couldn't protect anything. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the truth is, when when it became really difficult, when the crisis really hit, actually, um, the EU didn't protect anything, just in time delivery on these global supply chains, you know, they all broke. And, you know, we, we need to have a fundamental rethink about, um, you know, what we produce here in the UK, we need to produce much more critical items that are key to our survival, you know, and, and that includes basic things like paracetamol. Mm. Who knew, for example, that almost you know a huge chunk of the world's paracetamol supply was made in India? Yeah. And we were running out of paracetamol on the shelves because we don't seem to make it here. Right. These key things, you know, that's those are the sort of things that has got to change. We've got to be much more self-sufficient, produce more of our own food, make more of our own goods, and be a patriotic consumer, rather like the French, the wonderful patriotic consumers. We need to become much more the same, Mike. Yes, but they still, uh, of course, export loads and loads of champagne to us, which they will still want to do, uh, which they will still need the money from. Uh, they will indeed. But what I'm delighted to uh, uh, to say is, you know, there's there's ever more great champagnes um, or, or, or sparkling wines being produced here in the UK. Yeah. And actually, dur during lockdown, I've been enjoying sampling some fantastic English wines. So, you know, again, I think there's a great opportunity uh, you know, new winemaking techniques are coming forward. Climate is changing the soil. You know, so it's fantastic. Yeah. Buy British, buy some great English booze, Mike. I certainly will, Richard. I should take your word on that. I'll start immediately as soon as I get away from the, the studio today. Thank you very much indeed. Richard Tice, uh, chairman of the Brexit party there, talking um, a lot of sense about the working from home situation because he's right. We do need to have the debate. We do need to work out a way uh, of if the economy is going to change. There is no such thing as a free lunch. If you're going to sit there and tell me that, oh, well, uh, you'll just have to give up on your beloved London. London's going to die. London's not going to be a place of great uh, income anymore. It's going to cease to be a metropolis nobody's going to go to work there because it's so horrible well fine well you're going to have to make up the difference then i'm afraid and i think richard tice may have a point i still prefer my incentive to work rather than a disincentive not to travel mid-morning with mike graham talk radio the independent republic of mike graham on talk radio it's 12:48. it's friday and it's time for this Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Perrier Awards.
bit of a refusal in the, uh, in the control room. I think so we're going to have dancing. to give uh, Daisy an insubordination report. Insubordination report, report yeah, mm. exactly right. There was no waving of the arms. How dare she? a very weak-looking wave going on now, but never mind. Mm. <laughs> Welcome, uh, Ms Malagon. Thank you very much. Mr Graham, how are you? Very well indeed. Looking nice. forward to the weekend. Yes, so am I. Looking forward to seeing my dog. Oh, I love your dog. Yeah, I know. Me too. I love your dog. Well, give him my regards. I will. Please. Thank you very much. Um, good afternoon. Good afternoon. And welcome, thank everyone, you. to the Perry Rewards. Yes. Um, I've been. Um, this is where we look back over the past week of the so-called Independent Republic of My Graham on yes. Dog Radio, and choose our favourite moments. Quite. Um, tradition says the first Perry goes to you. And I'm not going to break it this week. Okay, good. Um, earlier in the week, we spoke to Professor Carol Sikora, mm. and you won a Perry for the introduction of the week. Let's talk, though, first of all, this morning to Professor Carol Sikora, the former head of the World Health Organization's Cancer Programme, Dean of Medicine at the University of Buckingham, and an all round good egg. Good egg. <laughs> good egg. I haven't said that for a long time. No, you haven't. You seem quite impressed. Yes. It's good to be described as that. Well, of course. Rather than being described as a bad egg. No, which no. isn't good. No, no one wants that. Or no. a boiled egg. Or boiled. I think uh, it'd be worse. Or scrambled. Yeah, you're a boiled egg. Let's <laughs> see where we're going here. <laughs> uh, caller Geraldine Crew wins a pair for the proposition of mm. the week. Yeah, doing all right, but if Megan wants to come down and clean the toilet while I'm out walking my dogs, <laughs> she's more than welcome. Listen, she's honestly, got sixteen of her own, mate. Time. You know, it's going to take some time. I think. Yeah, that's never happening. No, it's definitely never happening. And no. um, speaking of the devil, yes. here's the classic Megan impression of the week. Heritable works, Harry. Harry, it's not very nice in California. Harry, let's make a movie, Harry. You can play the idiot and I'll be the star. How about that? What do you mean you don't want my marketing plan? Queenie. Queenie. Somebody actually said that it's eerily accurate. Because now that she's on video all the time, people realise how she speaks. You know what? Um... I do watch her videos, mm. but I tend to watch them, you know, when they pop up on Twitter without yes. sound, with right. subtitles. And then do you so, make your own uh, Megan impression? Yeah, I basically <laughs> hear her like you, or like maybe like my impression yes. of you doing an impression of her. Yes. So I think that's good. I think that's what we should I think be doing. it's really, really good. Mm. But uh, yeah, I, I, I yeah, refuse I mean, to listen to her. You can't take it seriously, though, can you? No. That's the problem. That's the now. problem. We've but, made her into a figure of fun. She won't like that. Oh, she won't like that. She's going to sue us one day. Well, probably, oh, yeah. wouldn't that be great? Yeah. No, no, no. No, no, no. <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't be great. No, no it would not. Absolutely but not. she wouldn't How win because we all we just was making fun of her. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, no, no. law against it. No, of course not. Not yet, anyway. Of course not. No. It's the Bance law. Bance. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, anyway, this is not the only impression we've been blessed with ah. this week. Here's Mike's take on students not happy with their A-level results. Justice for us. We want justice because we're so badly treated. It's unfair because I can't become a doctor. <laughs> That's what it sounded like to me. Yes. You know? It's also a bit Megan, though. It is a do bit. You, do you... Yeah. Well, anyone who's sort of vaguely pathetic, I think, is kind mm. of how I do it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll see next week. What Maybe, the, what you know, the, you never know. I still Ian Blackford's still um, lurking in the background. He might get something next week. Oh, yeah. Is he is still still going? Apparently so. I saw a tweet yeah. the other day saying that he'd claimed loads of money and expenses over the last three months, but he hasn't actually been in Parliament. So we may have to have a look at that. <laughs> I don't know if it's true. That'll be one for next week, yes. maybe. Maybe. Um, by the way, speaking of, of things we've done earlier in the week, mm. um, on Monday, yes, I popped in to do the uh, so homeschooling did. segment, yes. and um, I could have easily replayed a clip to to make a little bit of fun right. out of you. Really? But instead of doing that, I'm just going to do that live. Okay. Um, I thought I did all right. <laughs> no, you did all right. Yeah, you did all right. Mm. Um, but one of the things that I taught you was how to say your phone number in Spanish. Yes. Do you remember how to do that? 
I can try. Go on then. Uh, zero, uh, tres, cuatro, 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 ocho, ocho, uh, mil. Close enough. Was that not bad? Yeah. What did I miss? Well, you you got you mix your nine with your eight. So you said ocho, oh, yes. which is eight. All oh, right. You didn't say nine, which is nueve. Nueve. Sorry. Yes. yes. So yes. I gave out the wrong number. You did. Don't call that number. I don't know who's going to answer. Whoever is in Hello. Spain, please. Hello. Hola. <laughs> well done, though. Thank, I'm very well, impressed. I, yeah. I mean, I remember the last bit, yeah. mil, which is mil, a thousand, right? Which is a thousand. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to try again quickly? All right then. Um, so zero. Tres, cuatro, 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 nueve, nueve, mil. Yes. There we are. Wait a See, I'm like a dog. You can teach well, me new tricks. Well, listen, there we are. that's what we want. Well done. I'm going no further so, with that So that's a, that's a life perrier for Thank you. Thank you very much. So congratulations. Well done. Uh, let's now go to Julia Hartley Breakfast with mm. Alice Stewart, sitting yes. in for her this week. Um, poor Alistair um, was the victim of some technical incompetence. Was he? And uh, he wins this week's uh, James Larvin Technical Incompetence <laughs> Perrier Award. Still are speaking quite pleasantly to you, asking you to do your hands, this, that and the other, and, and welcome me into the shop. You remember that, you mention it, and you don't go somewhere that doesn't do it. She's gone. <laughs> She's gone. Oh, that's a great shame. But there we are. We ended well. Hey, Kate Hardcastle. That's great. That's who he was talking She's to. She's gone. Bless her. I guess you didn't like the question. No, maybe, Sometimes maybe not. switch it off. Maybe not. Mm. I don't know. But, um, you know, that went well. Or well, maybe she's just seen the time and had to go. Maybe that's what it is. Because, yeah. you know, sometimes you've got to know what time you're at. So you do. Whether you need to do all the things exactly and stuff. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah exactly. Oh, well, we all need the clocks. Yeah. Uh, now off to Afternoons with Ian Collins. Mm. He spoke to caller Lizzie in Devon and she won a parry for the surprise dog of the week. Well, you always remain uh, the sex report. Uh, and you can't change that. That's absolutely immutable. You can't change uh, anything. Is that your cat in the background? <laughs> yes, that's my cat. Yes. See what <laughs> I did there? That's a brilliant dog. That is a That's great dog. That's the best dog. dog I've heard for a while. That is one of the, yeah. It's Tremendous. up there with Malcolm in Oxford's That's dog, a great dog, yeah. Um, it's superb. But don't worry, because it's not the only animal appearance ah. we've had on the show this week. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, um, early in the week, we went to Mijas in Spain to speak to travel journalist Lisa Francesca Nant, and she provided the surprise cricket of the week. Yeah, that's exactly. I mean, I've been here almost six weeks now, and right. I've had to move it forward. Um, a few days. If you can hear that noise, that's the crickets or the cicadas around oh, yeah. me, not someone like turning on a drill. I love or that anything. sound. It's a great sound, uh, isn't it? Yeah, it, part of it, it does wake you up really early in the morning, actually. I was staying at a friend's house the other day and I thought there was something wrong with the toilet system. I was like, <laughs> someone, please fix that. And I realised it was actually the wildlife outside the window. Yeah, it is quite a remarkable sound. Crickets. It's such an annoying sound. I see. I like it. I don't find it annoying. You say that, but because well, you hear it when you go on holiday. Yeah. But I used to. That was my childhood. Yes. Like in the morning, really early. Don't you just get used to it, and you just kind of. It's still annoying. Out. It is annoying. Because there's a point at which, as well, it reaches a kind of a peak. Yeah, it's and like then it white sound, noise. And then it sounds like yeah. a buzzing. Yes. More than just a kind like of like a toilet, like she said. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. weird. Because it's in yeah. America as well. You get it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. You used to live in America, didn't you? I did. Yeah. It's true. I've heard the rumours. Thank you. Uh, another one for you, Mike. Congratulations. Yes. It's my favourite. The oops, Mike forgets how to speak again. Yep. Welcome back to the Independent Republic, Republic of Mike Graham. <laughs> There's <laughs> always one. Thank you very one. much. Thank you very much. And yep. um, finally, finally, this pair is not actually 100% confirmed, uh, but, but Mark Gale says it is, so we're just going with it. Okay. Listen carefully, because we think that the nutritionist Monica Price has won a pair for the wrong namer of the week shy away from vitamin C to such an extent uh, you will actually become quite unwell 
Yeah, I mean, scurvy's a thing, you know, of the past. Mm. I mean, Graham, you know, this was... Graham. Did she call you Graham? She did. She called you Graham. Yeah. She's already... I mean, just because we haven't spoken to her for a few weeks, she's forgotten me. Hmm. That's a bit of a shame, isn't well, it? We'll have to get her back on. Yeah. Anyway, that's all for the pair rewards. Um, there won't be more next week. No, you're you're taking a week off, aren't I'm you? I'm taking a week it's off. Disgraceful. To sleep. I don't know how that happened. I'm yeah, not sleep for a I week. I wasn't asked about this. <laughs> Nobody asked. No one asked me how I feel. No. Um, so yeah, there won't well, be more next week. Thank we you very miss much. You. We will miss Maybe you. Maybe we'll have a bumper edition when you get back. That's why I was saying that we'll do it again in two weeks' time, and we'll do like a maybe a longer version. Absolutely. Anyway, thank you very much indeed. Thank you. Have a nice time. The Perrier Awards on Talk Radio. Talk Radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.